You're listening to The Table Talk with your host, Anthony Irvin, a.k.a. Spoken Life. Tune in every other Thursday starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with me and a new special guest live on Facebook and Twitch. Let's start the show. What's up, everybody? Anthony Irvin here. How are you doing today? Uh, welcome to another episode of Table Talk, episode 20. Uh, I just want to say thank you to all my patrons once again for uh, contributing to the private Table Talk community. And uh, I wanted to say thank you to Bernadette, Dave, and Mary. Uh, if you guys would like to join the private ta- uh, Table Talk community over on Patreon, you guys can sign up today. Uh, going by patreon.com slash table underscore talk. Uh, I really love my uh, private community that's over there, and uh, we're growing by the day. Uh, And you can get some uh, bonus footage from tonight's uh, episode, which is uh, some uh, pretty interesting stuff. Me and uh, my special guest tonight got to talk about some pretty cool things that I may not be able to make uh, some of the show tonight. We may uh, talk a little bit bit about, but uh, you know, I I was trying to get uh, our special guest on a couple weeks ago, but we had a scheduling issue, uh, but I'm glad to have him back tonight. Uh, So let's welcome our special guest tonight, Brian Elliott. Hello there. Hey, what's going on, Brian? How you doing? Good. How are you? Doing good, man. Absolutely, absolutely. How was your day? It's good. It's a productive. How was your day? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, uh, as may, uh, some people may know, I mean, I have a uh, a day job, so uh, thankfully I've still been uh, able to work. Uh, you know, the nine to five here and there, and uh, you know. Then kind of just doing the music things at night when I'm not, uh, you know, dealing with little man. And, uh, you know, so some days are usually busier, busier than others, but usually Thursdays are my uh, prep days. So it's I get to relax a little bit more. So it's usually uh, Thursdays are usually my cool off days before another uh, busy Friday. <laughs> oh, OK, that's cool. Sounds like uh, one of the better days of the week. Yeah, yeah, kind of like the, uh, you know, the the almost the start to the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, for those who may not uh, know you, Brian, why don't you give uh, everyone a little introduction uh, to who you are? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, my name is Brian Elliott. I live in. Bucks County, Pennsylvania, somewhere near the Bristol, PA area, and um, I grew up in, um, well, originally in Massachusetts, and then when I was about like, I don't know, seven, I moved to to Pennsylvania in um, like New Hope area generally, um, and then uh, I started studying guitar when I was about ten. Before that, I had studied like some other instruments in school, like the clarinet and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then um, yeah, I got really uh, involved and interested in in playing um, all styles of music. But um, really specifically during like that time, I had to make a decision about like where I was, what I was going to do for like college. So by the time I got to high school, I was like, mm-hmm. I had to decide like, oh, am I going to do jazz or am I going to be like a classical guitarist? Right. For me, it was a very obvious choice because I had nothing. I knew nothing about classical music. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I started delving into that jazz world a little bit. Still like, I still like it, but it's not exactly the centerpiece of my life anymore. Um, during that time that I was in college, I got uh, very into the whole songwriting, playing acoustic thing. Uh-huh. Um, wrote some things, recorded. Um, performed a bit and then once i left college i actually didn't really start performing like music wasn't my living until i don't know several years later um i was probably like you know five years ago or something now when i started doing this gotcha and uh, yeah just playing uh around the area playing with um a band couple bands um playing in duos doing a lot of solo stuff as a live looper mm-hmm. 
And that's the, you know, kind of the one thing that uh, we kind of have in common where we both kind of are dip in, dip ourselves into the live looping uh, type of styles, which, uh, you know, we'll be able to, you know, talk a little bit more about tonight, too. And, uh, you know, uh, we both kind of seemed that we started out in, you know, the acoustic and, uh, you know, finding bands until we kind of found our own little sound and what we wanted to kind of do, too. Yeah, and definitely. You're right about that. Um, and, and you were talking about, um, you know, dipping into learning like clarinet and stuff in school. And, uh, you know, when I was in school, I, I did the uh, school band and I was I did uh, my actual first, you know, instrument was playing drums at first. Oh, okay. I, I didn't really start touching the guitar until, you know, I was maybe like 15, 16 years old. And, you know, I had a couple, you know, friends that were in bands or at least were, you know, playing instruments. And I'm like, well, you know, my dad plays a guitar and, uh, you know, he bought me a, a little cheap squire and, you know, I started learning some songs and then it kind of just progressed from there. And, um, you know, it, it's I, I'm, I'm pretty sure my parents or especially uh, my mom is probably really happy I didn't become a drummer. <laughs> I was just laughing because you're like, he bought me a cheap Squire. And like just the whole concept of the cost of like guitars is so crazy. Right. Because like even a Squire, you know, it's like a few hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, especially it's, it's I mean, like not it's not like no amount of money, you know, like spending a few hundred dollars. Yeah. And it's like it, my parents spent a few hundred dollars just to get me started on some kind of shitty equipment. It's crazy right. how much this hobby or career costs. You know? Yeah, it's definitely, you know, one of the more expensive ones, depending on how far you want to get into it, especially when you talk about gear and, you know, wanting to not necessarily have the top of the line equipment like for everything. But if you if you really want to start dipping your head into like, you know, uh, big name branded, um, you know, instruments and gear, then, yeah, you're you're thinking a, a couple hundred, couple thousand dollars in your repertoire. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like the the backgrounds that we both came from kind of encouraged, you know, music education um, in schools, which is great. Um, you know, a lot of people don't have that kind of background or opportunity. Right. Um, just a lot of the schools around this area, like in Bucks County in general, had, I don't know if they still do, but mm -hmm. they had great music programs. Right. Um, bands, orchestras, jazz groups um choir all that stuff yeah now um did you just find the guitar on your own or did something inspire you to pick up a guitar or was it just something that you saw an artist or uh was is your do you have like a family background of musicians or anything or so i'm not really like i'm i'm kind of the first musician of my family um nice nice and but I mean, like my parents listened to a lot of music and my dad played a lot of records. And um, when I was younger, I heard like Led Zeppelin and, and Jimi Hendrix. And I think when I heard Jimi Hendrix, I was like probably the most ins inspiring um, yep. sort of moment for me. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted it. I really wanted a guitar. I mean, I saw like a video of him, too. And I was just like <laughs> the whole thing just kind of, you know, blew my mind. Um. And my dad, my dad's a big Jimi Hendrix fan. And like you were saying, like some of his uh, tapes my dad would put on and especially the Beatles, too. I think uh, it, it's almost like the same level with Jimi and the Beatles for me. Like my dad was a big Beatles and Jimi fan. Like I, I think the biggest thing with Jimi for me was uh, I think everybody can, I guess, kind of say like the Woodstock, um, you know, concert that he did. And then the Isles of Wight uh, concert. I, I think I've watched that you know, more than I have fingers, uh, th like front to back, the whole concert of the Isles of Wight, uh, concert. It was actually a couple months before his pass, his passing, which is like, and it's like one of the ones where you can actually see up front with a lot of things that he was doing with the guitar and, you know, things that just make you, uh, realize how far he was like out in like his create level and how like he was before his time with what he was doing on the guitar and nobody like yeah. the people that were watching were just probably didn't even know at that moment which was crazy too oh he's just kind of like really like i don't know i wondered about like his sound like how he managed to get that sound out of a stratocaster yeah guitar i felt like no matter how hard i tried i couldn't sound exactly like that 
And if you and then if I you've seen like his videos, he's having like three and four, you know, Marshall stacks up there and like blasting them. <laughs> right. So there's like a lot of, you know, reasons why his um mm-hmm. his tone sounded that way. So you know, yeah, you're right. There was some pretty cool equipment that was going on. Not to mention uh, his talent. And he was probably working with the minimal, minimal, minimalist amount of, uh, you know, gear with it, too. I mean, because, uh, you know, his his typical, you know, setup would be, you know, Marshall, Marshall stack. And then, you know, uh, fuzz pedals, wah pedal, maybe a Univide pedal maybe, or one or two other, uh, you know, pedals here and there. But then again, you know, and he would just like just drive the hell out of that amp. And like you said, I mean, it, it was just something yeah. that you could you weren't seeing other people doing it in that uh, era of time. It's kind of funny because like during you say that like he had like a minimalist approach, but actually during that time he was looked at as like a guy who had a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. He was using a lot of um, gear that nobody had ever you know used before. Right. Um, you know things like the wah pedal like weren't really like used much before like hendrix and clapton started using them um yeah and yeah you would go up there with four or five pedals and obviously like when you compare that to like what you see like guys today performing with it kind of looks minimalistic for sure and i guess that's probably what i meant uh about it the fact that he was so you know he came up there with like a very small amount of uh gear where today you know you you see guys with like a big rack of pedals uh just for one song and then you know they have like a big pedal board and all this driving before an amp but like you know here's this guy back in the 70s come coming out with you know maybe one or two standard things and everything was just coming right from the way it was. and the, i mean a lot of his tone too could be also coming from how he played you know uh and his style of playing too so and there's a lot of Definitely. things and, and i mean you can take a lifetime to you know really study on his type of uh you know tone and everything which you know and coming from like a mu- uh, music theory standpoint uh his styles of writing and the way that he you know put chords together is just like wow you know, it, again just cer- certain things when you when you listen to a song as like a, a listener you're like wow that song really sounds good but then when you're listening to it as like a musician you're thinking like wow how did he like think of to be putting those type of things together like you would never think of certain things that would go together like that yeah no absolutely that's crazy I feel like in a lot of ways, I've always been really into the whole, you know, gear thing and mm-hmm. who's using what equipment and like how they're using it. And like, I just always wondered, like, you know, how each artist got their sound. And right. I know that, you know, there's more involved than than just the gear, but it's like sort of there's a relationship between the person's fingers and the gear that they're playing. And like w- without one, you know, you won't have the end result. Right. Right. Yeah, it, it it is interesting when you uh, think of it that way, because, you know, everybody has their own unique sound. And it's it's also it's also really cool to kind of, you know, dissect how each musician kind of thinks about getting their own tones. And, you know, because now we, we have everything at our fingertips these days. You, you can just go right up to a, a music store, or even go online. And like how we were talking last night, you can literally like probably uh, think of like whatever type of sound you want to try to make and you just go do a Google search and you can just have something at your house in like two days. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, pretty crazy. Yep. Stuff is very readily available. Mm-hmm. So uh, talking about the uh, live looping uh, world, like what got you into uh, starting out doing, you know, the live looping? Was it, something that I, uh, you know, you kind of just saw somebody doing it and you're like, Oh, well that seems pretty fun. I want to give it a try. Yeah. Um, kind of trying to remember like who I know. I definitely saw like, I went to a, a, a summer kind of workshop, mm-hmm. summer camp slash workshop that you like went there it was for guitar players bass players um other instrumentalists but it was mainly like a guitar and bass player thing right um it's called the national guitar workshop ngw mm-hmm. it's actually not around anymore but um at the time it was kind of like an amazing 
thing. And, you know, guitar players, teachers, um, famous artists, famous teachers would come from all over the country and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, spend however much the length of time, like some, some would spend the entire summer, like all, I think it was like, I don't know, like probably like 20 weeks or something. Wait, how many weeks are in the summer? No, I'm, let's say 12 weeks. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm roughly that. Yeah, let's say roughly 12. Yeah, so there were like 12 weeks of camp. <laughs> so like, you know, some got, if you were a, a student, you know, you'd have to pay for, you know, like there's a certain amount that like one week costs or two weeks and stuff. Right. Anyways, yeah, so I would go for like the first year I went for a week and then um, it's like amazing. And I like, I had like seen other people like, and, like, oh, I'm here for the summer. And I'm like, I was like, I'm so jealous. Like, <laughs> that'd be like amazing. Yeah. Um, it was actually on like this private school campus in Connecticut um, in a little town called New Milford, Connecticut. Hmm. And it was just like so like isolated. It was just a bubble of like guitar. Like this is how you describe it. Right. Um, and there was a lot of different teachers there. Um, and then even when the day was over, they would have like, these like extra courses and stuff like so-and-so is giving uh, a master class on pedals today, you know, or so-and-so is giving uh, an extra, you know, one hour master class on, on, you know, jazz comping or hmm. whatever, you know, it, there'd just be like an, an infinite number of things that you could learn there. Wow. Um, sounds like and, a fun time. Sounds like you can just get lost in a lot of things there. <laughs> Yeah, you just kind of like forget about like everything, everything else about your life. Like the only thing that mattered was just like guitar. That's awesome. Amazing. That's awesome. Sounds like heaven. <laughs> yeah, I was like 16, maybe 15 when I first went. Hmm. Um, I remember some really amazing instructors. Um, one guy who wasn't actually my teacher, uh, his name's Chris Buono. Uh, sorry, B-U-O-N-O. It's um, like actually... Uh, from the new york area i believe and he's written okay. a bunch of books um really talented um guitarist and instructor and okay. he's very into like um you know pedals and building and wiring pedal boards and and using loopers uh, i just remember seeing him uh you know demonstrate like this whole pedal board that was like seemed like it was infinitely long and mm -hmm. had a like an endless supply of pedals on it and then like a looper. And I think at the time he was using the boomerang, which uh -huh. was, uh, it was like a looper that was made by a company out in Texas. Um, became popular with certain looping guys. I don't even remember the names of the guys that did looping back then. Like the first, I don't know. The first guys I remember like looping are like, um, Oh my god, I can't remember his name. The guy who's kind of like in the like Grateful Dead scene plays like he's like mm. jam band Keller Keller Williams. Uh, okay. Um, I, I remember him, and I remember Ed Sheeran doing yeah. some stuff. Yeah, um, I, I think he's kind. Of, I mean, Ed Sheeran's. I think from a mainstream point, I think he's probably one of the ones that put live looping on the map with uh, the creative part of what you can really do with with a looper. And you know, I think yeah, because uh, I mean, there's always somebody that it was doing it before him. But I think from a main a mainstream point that I think he put that pretty much on the map because I think that's what he really started out with uh, using with and that and he was using the the Boss RC30 uh, and you know just doing like little simple things and just how he was able to build you know little beats and everything just in the like within a minute or two that that's something that uh, you know when I was just catching into you know using a looper uh i would watch a lot of his stuff and then you know just you know doing google searches of uh different covers and uh looking up live looping covers of certain songs that i was already playing and then i'm like well okay i mean i would listen to something then try to take it my uh give it on my own spin but i always like to see how other people are usually doing something to kind of get some type of inspiration from it and yeah, uh, yeah it's it's cool how you can, you know, take something so, you know, one dimensional and then 
using your looper and you can add, you know, not only just a guitar, you can add, you know, more stylistic points. You can add more depth and more fullness to a certain song with just, you know, a guitar it's, and it's uh, incredible. Yeah, it really is. Unfortunately, I don't even have a looper with me today. I have no looping equipment. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even set up my looping stuff. My my looping equipment is uh, packed away right now, but I uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to, you know, on our, yeah. our next uh, little bat, we'll have to, you know, do a little live looping show for, for the people. <laughs> Feels kind of weird. It's like naked when you're not like with your looper. It, it is. It, it does feel it does feel like uh, like that sometimes when I'm just playing just strictly you know singing and with a guitar it does feel uh you know like you're missing something when you're so used to doing uh playing with a looper and then you're not you're like oh you feel like you're missing something you want to you know you want to go and uh put another thing on there but like oh wait my i don't have my looper on me (laughs) (laughs) oh wait i'm a human being not a robot right (laughs) i can record things right um yeah so when it when it comes to a live looping song when you when you're trying to uh pick a song and you want to say okay I want to turn this into you know not necessarily turn it into a live looping song uh but try to make it into something that you're going to make it into a fuller set that you would think that you would be able to like so what's the the process that you, you would go through in dissecting a song to you know when you're practicing uh uh to turn a song into like a live looping song I guess you can say um it's a good question um so like i think like i take a song and i see if there's like some kind of like riff that goes along with it or if i can create a riff that's kind of like similar to what the song is offering Mm -hmm. um sometimes it's a bass line sometimes it's like a melody on top sometimes it's some chords like a song like uh what's that one um let's see if i can pull it up i was thinking of like I do this with with pop songs sometimes, like the the song Watermelon Sugar. Uh huh. Um, I just don't want to screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, here we go. Yeah, so like, I well, the first thing is like I start singing it, just the chords, like, and just see if I can sing it and if, like the if it's my range because I have a very like kind of middle of the road like narrow type of range or maybe slightly lower yeah i feel um, i'm kind of the same way with like um the harry Styles song like i tried doing it in the original key and i just felt like i was just straining my voice so i ended up mm-hmm. like just transposing it down yeah like, i think like a fifth or something mm-hmm. um and basically like it has these chords that are like I figure like okay i'll record those chords and then like maybe there's a bass line or is there like something else in the background that goes uh-huh. on top of that and sometimes like with this song the bass line is kind of also like the horn line mm-hmm. uh, and so it has like this thing that's like uh-huh. and that'll go over top of that so i'll record that on top of it uh-huh and then like a lot of times like i might record them on two separate tracks so i can bring them in and out yeah like independently from one another mm-hmm. um so that way like i can be like oh like when the chorus comes in like they both come in so it's a lot like you know more powerful i try to like make it so that the song has like kind of uh, like parts that are like discernible to the listener yeah Mm-hmm. like instead of just like even though like technically the song is just the same four chords over and over again um you can make it so like it sounds like there's something different going on right um just by like taking away a layer or adding a layer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um so that's like one thing i do um i usually like i mean like a lot of songs do have like two parts and I don't do a whole lot of like uh, series looping. Um, I, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, series looping is when you have like two separate loops that aren't like necessarily in time with each other. They're not even the same amount of bars necessarily. Hmm. Like they're just two independent parts. So you'd have uh-huh. like a verse. 
like gravity would be a good version like And then you'd have the other part. So you really like, I mean, in order to do it, like you'd have to like have a totally separate loop going for yeah. that. Usually um, I turn off I my see. loop going into that A minor seventh and I'll, I'll just ring out those chords. And then when it goes back into the, the hook of the song, then I turn back on the loop and that's where like yeah. the bass and all the, the, uh, the whole full band comes back in. So it's kind of like, you know, it, it uh, drops out. You kind of uh, bring down, and then once the uh, that little chorusy section's over, then it pops back in, and you're like, oh, okay, it just jumps back in. You get the groove back in. So, yeah, and, and that's like the creative thing about it is you you can do whatever you want uh, with yeah, you're uh, composer, looping. You know? You're the arranger, the composer. Uh -huh. Not the composer. You're the arranger. Right. Right. So you can do what you want with it. Absolutely. Which is cool. Yeah, I do a very similar thing. Like just like you're saying, like when that part's done, I stop that loop and I start playing this without any looping. You know, just yeah. play it. Yeah. Um, sometimes, like if I really feel like I want to like endeavor on something more difficult, like I'll I will do like series looping, but I can't do that on my boss looper. I mean, it can be done, but I haven't figured out a way to make it so it doesn't screw up my entire other set. Yeah. It's like, it feels like this looper has to be set to like one or the other. Yeah. Other I don't think if you're talking about the RC30, I, I, I've tried having like one loop that let's just say it's like a, a like one or two, four bar, you know, a, a two bar uh, yeah. loop. I'm not talking about that one. I know what you're talking about. But like you can't necessarily loop a two bar and then loop one bar of that, or so like you have to kind of go within that same route. Like you can't start at like a brand new thing. So there's only like one or two songs that uh, I will make a loop in the beginning of the song, but then at the end I clear everything and make a brand new loop for the ending. There's certain ways that I do that as well. Oh yeah, I've done that as well. That's also a good point. Like you know you can be like yeah you know recording you know as you're playing it's like i mean it's part of the challenge of it is that like you got to keep the song going and uh -huh. sometimes sometimes people look at you and like you know you've just recorded something and it's in time and you, you spent you know it was hard and you got it done and they see you and you're not actually playing the guitar because you've just recorded it live yeah. and they think that like oh this guy's using like backing tracks and he's like I a fraud I've I've gotten that kind of look before, and especially like if I'm, uh, you know, like you said, if you're playing and uh, you have the loop going in the back, and you're not actually playing along with that, that's when people are like, uh, uh, "Is there another?" And especially if there's people in the crowd, and I'm singing, and I hit that harmony pedal, and then they they kind of give me that look of like, "Is there another person on stage?" But I don't see anybody. I'm like, "No, it's just, you know, there there's somebody within my pedal board singing for me." So. <laughs> <laughs> do you say that <laughs> i try to say it's my it's my uh second guy but he's kind of out in the car <laughs> <laughs> there's a man within my pedal board he's in there <laughs> i, I try i try to uh, get people like that sometimes but it, it's funny because then you at least know you got some people uh you know hooked when they're actually paying attention to you like that especially and that's the thing with like live looping that you know it uh not to knock anybody that uh, is just up there with a guitar and, and vocal. I mean, that's how everybody kind of starts out. But like, especially with live looping, I feel you know, if people are actually really paying attention to you, they're seeing everything that you're doing. You know, you're you're punching in something, you're punching out, you're trying to sing, you're trying to play a guitar. There's so many things that you're thinking about at the same time. And if somebody's really you know paying attention to the certain things, I think that's when people are really like this. This guy like knows his stuff, and like especially if you can really organize that stuff and you're on point, and you know you got your loops down, you got your singing, you're playing, and everything's kind of like spot on, you know. So it, I think that can really draw in a lot of people. I, I do get certain people that come up to me like, "Wow, that's like 
uh, pretty interesting stuff. Like, and then they, you know, so they go, so what are you using there? What are you using here? And, you know, so then, and I, like, I've never been much of a gear person uh, coming into it, but now, like, I feel, you know, I've gone against my word in these last couple of years because now I'm, like, looking down at a whole smorgasbord of uh, pedals at my feet. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you have, like, you know, a few different type of audience members. You have audience members that aren't educated about looping and they don't understand what's going on. Uh -huh. They just assume that you have brought in some backing tracks um, from whatever you know the internet or your computer right. um or then there's the audience members that are like damn like what there's like a lot going on here can you explain mm -hmm. this to me? yeah you know? and i do try to give like an example sometime during the night i've done that in my last couple shows of like if i do have a lot of people that are that i feel that are like connected with it or at least kind of like trying to you know they're they're listening but they're like I, I know he's doing other things. So I usually try to, in one of the songs that I'm about to start looping, I'll just be like, Hey guys. Yeah. I mean, thanks for coming out, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I am a live looping musician. That means everything that you hear tonight is it's not a backing track. It's all live right from scratch. And you, then I start, you know, showing how I layer a certain song and then just start playing the song. So then it kind of gives them an example of how, you know, I'm just doing everything on the fly and it's not a backing track. It's everything that's coming right from the song. And then once the song's done, it gets X'd out, brand new tracks, whatever, you know, and people like, and I've uh, gotten more people to really like, you know, take interest in that when they kind of see it slowed down and be like, okay, I see now, now he's doing this and now he's doing that. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've definitely done something similar where I try to explain it during a performance. That's not a bad idea. You know, yeah. it works some of the time. Yeah. Especially because if you have people that are really in, in tuning, uh, tuning into you, you know, you want to continue to keep those people, you know, in their seats. And, you know, I think that's one little thing that you can always try to keep people, you know, watching you. I mean, we want to always try to have the most people watching, but it's sometimes it's, uh, that's one thing that I had to learn to, uh, as I was transitioning from becoming an original music artist from a cover artist was that, you know, when you're up on stage as a, an original audience uh, or original when you're playing original music and you're uh, out there playing and you're you have a crowd out there when you're done a song, you expect people to applaud you and give you that praise and stuff that gives you something. To, OK, these people are listening. They like it. My first couple shows playing covered songs, you know, I was expecting the same stuff. But then you you, you get done a song crickets and I'm like. Okay, am I, am I bombing this thing? But then you know you get a couple people here and there. Oh yeah, good job. And but I had to learn that you know that this one guy uh, told me, which was a good example of me uh, starting out. Like you, you kind of have to remember that you are a jukebox to some of these people when you're playing cover music. That sometimes you're gonna have people that listen to you, but most of the time you're gonna have people that are listening but not listening but uh you know you're just playing background music you shouldn't always expect uh a reaction out of people but when you do you know acknowledge those people so it, it's something that i definitely had to you know mentally you know get out of my head that i'm not always going to get that applause that i used to get when i uh, you know i was up on stage playing original music that you know i when you're done a song, you get right into the next one. Thank you. Right into the next song. Thank you. Right into the next song. Or, you know, maybe plug a couple little things here and there. But, you know, you're not always really waiting for a reaction. <laughs> yep. Yeah, definitely. 100%. I understand that. Yeah, I don't actually don't. Uh, it doesn't bother me as much. Um, <laughs> because, like, if I know that, like, I've personally done something that, like, kind of met some kind of goal of mine uh -huh. it, you know, it feels good anyway even if like an audience member doesn't recognize it at that moment yeah and i mean they do at some point but not always right when you think it's gonna happen right right yeah yeah so i want to get into one of our newest uh segments here uh this is the second time we're doing this so uh we're going to spin the uh, table talk wheel here 
And there's three different topics that we're going to be, uh, you know, going off of. So we're going to spin the wheel here and whatever our topic is tonight, we are going to, so we have top five tonight. So our top five tonight, if I can get my, my phone open, uh, I have four different topics and I'm just picking out, uh, we're going to do, uh, our top five favorite songs. So, uh, you know, we can take a little bit to kind of, you know, just discuss this, but, um, so we can, you know, take this till probably the end if we want, but, uh, so, uh, our top favorite songs, it can be, you know, from any type of genre, you know, from, you know, it doesn't have to be all recent or all old, you know, I I'm going to, I mean, if, uh, for me, I'll start off one of my favorite songs. I do got to say, uh, probably for Jimmy, if I, I have to get a Jimmy song in there, I would have to say, um, and there's a lot of Jimmy songs that, uh, I would love to take as a top song. Uh, but I'm probably going to say for Jimmy, it would have to be, um, huh. Now I'm like drawing a, drawing a blank, which one I actually want to say for Jimmy. Uh, well, here you go. I, and this is probably going to be a cliche one to say, but Purple Haze. I think everybody uh, would say for Jimmy, it had to be Purple Haze because I think it's one, one of the first songs that I've heard from Jimmy and made me, you know, kind of continue to listen to him. So one of my favorite, you know, probably all time, all time songs, one of them is uh, Jimi Hendrix, Purple Haze. It's a good one for sure. I'd probably go with the, um, I don't know, man. I love the first album, but the second album kind of hits me in the, in the heart. Uh, you know, the Axis, Axis album. Um, and actually, specifically the song Bold as Love. Yes, that's another good one. Like one of my top. It is hard to pick one, for, for sure. Yeah. Um, it, it, he I does have... With a couple of Jimmy songs on the list. Yeah, yeah, I might have another one too. Uh, my mom's watching. She actually says Chris Stapleton is one of her favorites, and uh, that that is definitely he has a, a lot of good stuff. I mean, uh, Tennessee whiskey, and uh, uh, he has another one, uh, Broken Halos. Uh, those are two that's, great songs. Yeah, I, I would, I wouldn't uh, hesitate too much to get him on the list. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, right. If if not on the list, definitely an honorable mention. <laughs> right. I mean, he's got a new song called "Starting Over." Well, it's not that new; it's about a year old, but it's got that that sort of like riff to it. Yeah. Uh, it's like a open chord kind of thing. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Because he just recently came out with a new album, I think, right? Um, I think it was within it, the year it, or something. Then I am, like, behind on things. Very behind. <laughs> uh, my mom Where asks, does Brian play Chris Stapleton? Do you play any Chris Stapleton, Brian, at your shows? I, mm -hmm. Yep, I, I do a couple songs. I do that starting over song that I was just talking about. Okay. Uh, I do... Um, Without your love, mm -hmm. I don't know that one. And then I do Tennessee whiskey. Um, and then I do Millionaire. Millionaire's a good one too. Yeah. Let's see. Okay, Chris Stapleton. I'm looking him up to see if he came out with a new album. Um, and while you're looking, yeah. I I'm gonna have to say another song for me. Uh, I thought. <laughs> huh? I didn't know that that song starting over is the title track of that his new album. Oh, okay. Okay, sorry. Okay. Then yeah, they, I, I definitely got to listen to that. I definitely got to listen to that album. Uh a Beatles song I got to put in, you know, my top 5. Uh and again, coming through a a whole lot of different uh Beatles songs that I can list. Uh but I would probably have to say that, uh, again, I have to go with one that inspired me to continue to listen uh, to them is uh, Twist and Shout. Either yeah, I would also put a Beatles song on there. Either Twist and Shout or Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. 
man. Um, I was actually going to say something like along the lines of Sergeant Pepper or something yes. like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm actually, I always cheat when it comes to these games. I'm like, I want to look up like what, like, uh, <laughs> first it's like Abbey Road, like would be one of the albums that might have one of those songs on it mm-hmm. that, that I would add for whatever reason. Yeah, and hey, I mean, there's uh, th- since this uh, you know little section is so new, there's really no rules, so <laughs> so I can't really say that there's any oh, uh, cheating she involved. Came, she came in through the bathroom window. Yeah, that's know. another good one too, and I actually play that. And again, oh, yeah, I want you, dude. That that would absolutely probably be. Uh huh. Want you? Mm-hmm. I want you so bad. You're driving me mad. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And there's a lot of those uh older ones that are like, you know, two minute songs that, you know, get you clicked on it so quickly and they're only like two minute songs. <laughs> right. Yeah. And there's that one song, uh Um uh, Oh Darling. It's kinda of sound like you were playing that. I was playing one of the chords from from the song. Yeah. But I was thinking of all my loving. That's a good one too. Yes, I. That's another one I play. It goes like it goes from the minor chord, augmented, uh, to the mm-hmm. major. It's like unheard of. Whoever was writing songs like that back then, other than the Beatles, right? John and Paul, George were you know yeah. masterminds of themselves. Pretend that I'm kissing your lips. I am missing. Hope that my dreams will come true. When I'm away, I'll write home every day. Send all my loving to you. All my loving. All my loving, darling, I'll be true. Woohoo! That comes at the end where they get hard. Yeah, it's a re- that's a really nice song too. It's so my mom's we both we both uh, we've both gotten two, so we have three more. Uh, mm-hmm. huh. I I guess Water yeah. Sugar. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind it's kind of hard because uh, I mean I, I've always grown. I mean I'm I'm an '80s kid, so I I I feel like I've always grown into liking older music. Uh, more than today's music. I mean, th- there's some things about today's music I like, but then there's a lot of things that I don't like. Uh, but you know, there's there's always things that are going to be like, oh, I mean, uh, when people are like, oh, when I was your age, I was listening to this. I'm like, well, I'm kind of almost listening to the same music you you were listening to anyway. Uh, but uh, man, I would have to put like a live John Mayer track on there for my next one. Yeah, I, I was just like, uh, thinking of a John yeah, Mayer one. I- Maybe Gravity, the live version from uh, Where the Light Is. Yeah, dude. That whole album is just... Whew. I would have to probably say um, uh, Atmosphere from that from that uh, same album is beyond awesome. I tried playing that once or twice, like trying to learn it. And I, and it's in this uh, a crazy alternate tuning that he has, too. So, right. But yeah, yeah that's, that song in general is really, really uh, colorful in a way totally man so many artists i like like stevie wonder ray charles mm-hmm. um you know sam cook um like, like a lots of old stuff otis redding um, mm-hmm. i'm trying to think and you know i guess maybe for a second or third uh i mean I got into Stevie Ray Vaughan very late, but uh, and I got into him as I was becoming a cover artist, and um, so I would probably have to say you know him playing either uh, Texas Flood or um, uh, Pride and Joy are definitely one of my favorites from him. I like. I think it's almost better to pick songs that that I don't play because the songs that I don't play are probably the ones that are so amazing and well composed that like, 
that are impossible to cover. Um, so for me, I think like I would probably put Stevie Wonder next. Mm-hmm. But which one? I don't know. I just want to look at his uh, one of his most famous albums called Inner Visions. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The other one. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, um, there was another person I was just thinking of too. The one that has superstition on it. Uh huh. I mean, I think superstition is definitely. Uh, you can't talk Stevie Wonder without you know superstition in in at least some type of manner. Maybe I wouldn't do Stevie Wonder. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'd probably do like something from uh, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Hmm. I'm really into that Philly soul sound. Uh huh. The Stevie Wonder's great, but. Harold Melvin, man, my stuff like rip your heart out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've had Jimmy, had John Mayer, Beatles, Steve Ray Vaughan, you know, one more. And I, I can't really say these are like you know from you know, th- these are definitely not in like a order sense. These are just people that are just coming out of the top of my head. I, cause I, I can never put this in a chronological order of like who would be better than others. Cause I mean, these are songs that are even just like, it could, couldn't even their their favorites, but it, I would have to just say, you know, the, the person in general, all like their songs, there, there's no specific song that I can just, uh, you know, make a favorite. There's a lot of different, uh, songs from these people that I love. Yeah, so it's almost easier to to you know choose like artists, yeah, than song or an album. Yeah, yeah. And um, trying to see if there's anything out of like that specific, uh, you know, blues rock genre that I can kind of say because I mean I I I do, uh, you know, like the heavier sides of music too. Like you know, I, I love uh, you know, metal and hardcore. Uh, metal too so it's kind of uh, definitely a different you know sway if i put this into a top five but maybe i can put that into a different category if if we uh do this again on another episode because they're trying to keep it within maybe somewhat of a uh uh form but uh, i trying to think i oh not many people i've not i haven't heard many people talk about this person uh robin trower if uh, I are into Robin Trower, me and my dad saw him twice, and I do got to uh, to me, I thought he was the closest to like probably seeing or experiencing Jimi Hendrix. Like his, at least for his style of how he plays, because he has that you know psychedelic rock bluesy type feel, and I, you know, so. Uh, I I, w- I have to kind of look up, you know, one of his songs, um, but I think one of his songs uh, begins with Eagle in it. If my dad was watching, he would probably be saying he would probably be telling me which one that would be. <laughs> Trower. Uh, Bridge of Size. That's that's it. Or yeah, the day day of the eagle. So one of those two, I'd probably say day day of the eagle or bridge of size. So if you if you haven't uh, heard of either of those two, I would definitely recommend you know listening to those. Those are two absolutely amazing songs. Yeah, no, I've checked them out. It's been a while though. I probably should go yeah. back and listen. Yeah, it's been a while since I've looked looked up his stuff. I would probably end with uh, something from Jeff Buckley. Jeff Buckley's uh he's like an incredible songwriter. Like and he died really young. He had like a such a tragic life and like his story is just I don't know, incredible. Um he's got a song well, he basically has one album and uh, his one album is a masterpiece. It's called his album's called Grace. And uh there's a song in there called Lover, You Should Have Come Over. Hmm. That would probably be the one. Although there are several great songs on that thing. The whole album yeah. is just like 
genius. Well, that was a good, that was a good top five. I mean, I think it definitely gave us <laughs> it de- definitely gave us a good amount of challenges to kind of you know pick mm-hmm. out some really good songs and uh, you know if it it probably would have been better if it was a top ten we probably would have had a lot more wiggle room to play with. But <laughs> right, yeah. But yeah, yeah, that was that was the top five, everybody. So um, if you guys are watching. Uh, now or if you're watching later on uh, you know leave a comment with your top five of your top five favorite songs feel free but uh, um, once again I just want to say uh, thank you to everybody who's been uh, tuning in tonight uh, my name is Anthony Irvin your uh, host aka Spoken Life you are watching Table Talk uh, with me tonight uh, is Brian Elliott uh, I had a wonderful time talking to him uh, Brian I know uh, you do you have some original music up, uh, which you can uh, def- you can go listen to uh, Brian on Bandcamp at the little link here. So Bandcamp. So feel free to look up his original music. Uh, uh, Brian, is there any possible original music uh, in the future? Perhaps I know you haven't. You were saying you haven't been really dipping too much into the original music lately. But is there any you know future plans of putting out any music yeah i have a friend that um he uh built a studio and he wants to uh record originals together nice um, nice well as soon as the studio is finished and everything the whole project nice yeah definitely i hope like you know maybe in a few months get some some new tracks down that'll be that'll be the goal Absolutely. Yeah. So make sure you guys follow Brian on uh, Facebook and Instagram and, uh, you know, go check out his music. And uh, once again, thank you all for tuning in tonight. This has been episode 20 uh, and we'll be back with a brand new episode in uh, two weeks. So thank you guys very much. And again, thank you, Brian, for being on here tonight with me. I had a great time and hope we can do this again. Uh, Maybe next time we can uh, get our live looping setups, uh, you know, set up, do a little bit of live looping back and forth and I uh, you know I uh, you know talk a little bit more about our gear I uh, you know setups and stuff uh, but yeah other than that uh, thank you guys again this has been table talk we will see you all on the next episode thank you guys and have a great night